0: Bye. Grappa fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer 5-Star Project, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, your co-host, and your other co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated 5 stars or higher. It's the second 5-star match or higher in one week, Simon, for this one. We already covered the 5.5-star G1 Climax encounter between Shingo Takagi and Tomohiro Ishii. But what are we talking about for this one, Simon? We're in a
1: different continent. We are. We are talking about five-star mainstay Kenny Omega taking on five-star debutante, five-star newcomer, five-star virgin having his cherry popped, Brian Danielson.
0: Like a virgin popped for the very first time. (laughs) Brian Danielson. And also, I think for a lot of people... Their first exposure to American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Yes. That's the key thing with this. That's the key story of this match, I suppose. It's this is the guy that was seen as the best in the world for their work on the independent scene. This
1: isn't the Daniel Bryan WWE superstar. To paraphrase a period of Curtis Axel promos, the chains are off. The chains are off. This is the moment. Martin McCutcheon,
0: baby. (laughs) I'm just wondering, though, Simon, for you, is this your first encounter with Brian Danielson? Because you weren't really a a follower of the indie scene, as far as I'm aware of it, in the 2000s.
1: Yeah, in terms of, like, following it as it goes along, yes. I haven't really gone back and watched a lot of uh, American Dragon stuff. Uh, I'm keen to watch his matches against Nigel McGuinness, even though now I know what's happened to Nigel. No, in ter- in terms of, like, handbrake off, I-, I have got the whole creative freedom to be me, uh, Brian Danielson. This is my first.
0: I mean, you, I'm assuming you're aware of spots like I have till far. Well, some of that stuff we actually saw in the one Daniel Bryan match that we've been able to talk about in the Let Me Tell You Something series when we did the match of the week for his two out of three falls Match against Sheamus at Extreme Rules 2012, I want to say. I believe so, yes. That was the first example, I suppose, that we had of... Well, the first example maybe you had of seeing a different, more aggressive Brian Danielson. Even when he was Daniel Bryan, when he returned to his face position after that run as the heel against Sheamus and CM Punk... But then we got the team Hell No, where they had that comedic aspect to it. And also at that point, a lot of his match was around catering to the fans wanting to chant yes to his moves. And with this, it's like he's in a he's still in a transition point. He said he doesn't want to do the he doesn't want to court the yes chance. There's been differing accounts of whether or not he said that Kevin Dunn had asked him not to do it or if he was choosing not to do it himself. But it's like he never does the chance to the crowd. He does the kicks, but he, he starts to interrupt them with kicks and chops. Yeah. So it's like yes, then woo, then yes, then woo, and, and everything. And when he makes his entrance, he doesn't point his fingers up to the sky, but he does stretch his arms out in almost like a, a Y shape. Mm. A
1: capital Y shape. I mean, oh, see, I've got so that as him drinking it all in. Like, especially mm. in um, his entrance for this match, because obviously it's his first AEW match. Um, he's just breathing in like the atmosphere because obviously the crowd expect him this time because when he debuted it was a a surprise debut Mm. um yeah but i know i I really think it's just a case of him like oh my god they're so excited for this yeah
0: yeah i mean the the cheer at the bell is louder than any cheer for a bell that i can recall hearing in a long long time uh, without... There was the one for. There was the one when Okada and Tanahashi fought each other at the G One in Dallas. Mm. That was a
1: big deal. I would go Shield Wyatt. Yes, possibly. that's true.
0: Although that was kind of before the bell rang, but the the moment where they're just standing opposite each other, yeah, was another example of that. And also, what I think is significant is the way that Kenny Omega plays this whole match. There is no. Did I do that?
1: He shaved. <laughs> the key thing is he shaved. He doesn't have his like uh, Triple well, he, H he tribute does, handlebar.
0: He does, but they're much more faint.
1: <laughs> well, it's clearly starting to grow back, or he either shaved yeah. it off the day before. But
0: well, he, well, he wouldn't have shaved it off if it's the, the whole shape. He would have just had a yeah. beard trim,
1: essentially, with something that I need right
0: now. He, but he does play pretty much straight throughout it all Don Callis is
1: barely involved. Don Callis isn't on the booth like he is for most Kenny Omega matches. He's taking it seriously. Like that's that's another point though. If it was just a normal Kenny Omega match, he wouldn't he'd be at the booth, just like mouthing off.
0: Well maybe it's also because at that point you know that Danielson is the key dar attraction for this match and that Kenny Omega is almost a supporting player in this situation. Because it's not for Kenny Omega's title, so it's that sense of this may not be Kenny working at his hardest, or, you know, you're not necessarily this isn't champion defending Kenny Omega, mm. but it's more but it is Brian Danielson wanting to show everyone that he can still go with all the all the restrictions lifted. And it is fascinating. It's it's trying to gauge that level of knowledge in a fan base and the AEW fan base because it's like they cheer Kojima loudly when he comes out, but they don't necessarily do reactions to his key spots in the same way that a Japanese crowd will, so they don't necessarily know that much. When Minoru Suzuki comes out, they sing Kaze Ninare, but it's not everyone. Like, say when Minoru Suzuki came out for the Royal Quest show in the UK, and just the entire arena yells it out as one. So, again, it's like, what proportion of them know this, what proportion of them know that? So, it's like what proportion of these people know who Brian Danielson is? What proportion of these know I have Till 5? What proportion of them know the cattle mutilation? Well that was all I was getting to. The cattle mutilation was the key moment where you realize okay the people know. Yeah. This is old Brian Danielson. Because I remember the one time I remember him using the cattle mutilation in a WWE. Do you remember this at all?
1: Not off the top of my head.
0: It was just after he won the United States title off the Miz. And he did a triple threat submission match with him and John Morrison at the next pay-per-view. And at one point, he puts one of the two in the cattle mutilation. Gets broken up pretty quickly. And Matt Stryker, one of the few figures in wrestling that I have absolutely no problem shitting all over, calls it the cattle mutilation. Yeah. And Michael Cole laughs in his face at that name and that was like the last time that i can recall him using the cattle mutilation until now maybe he brought it out during the run we had
1: with cm punk i'm not sure i don't recall it uh but then again it wouldn't have been given like much hype was it it's like they just seemed to demean him like a lot at the start i i, I don't think they understood what they had
0: well i think throughout it all as i was saying with even when he's in the main event scene and one of the most po- the most popular man on in the promotion His whole shtick was still that he was an underdog. Yeah. Like, his main event push started with him saying, I'm not the weak link of the team, and trying to prove himself and going above and beyond and really taking the shield on full bore because he feels like, at times, people think he'll be the reason they lose him. You know, when he... It was. It's always been a case of good timing for everything, and the Daniel Bryan and Kane were the tag team champions at the time the Shield debuted. Meant that they were one of the first prominent opponents they were having, and they had like one of my favorite matches of the last decade: the uh, six-man TLC match. Oh, with, with Ryback, them and Ryback. Yeah. And whilst Daniel Bryan was the one that took the fall. Because he could go in a different way to how Ryback went, worked and how Kane worked, and his was more action-packed and fast-paced and frenetic, that maybe caught the crowd and got them more excited than it would have ne- than it was necessarily with Kane and, and Ryback, and that built it up and built it up, and it was really kind of because of the Shield that Daniel Bryan could be defined as that valiant babyface underdog. He'd been the underdog against in, in his first post NXT run yeah but that was more as like the virgin nerd as (laughs) we saw him as oh whereas with this one they still played up that he was an underdog but they never made him look like a dweeb like a nerd yeah you know how dare he be a vegan (laughs) everything but this brian danielson will dominate portions of the match and beat up and hurt and manipulate and be vicious even as a face yeah his opponents and he does manipulate Kenny Omega's extremities, like Pete Dunne, and stomp on the arms. Yeah, oh, I
1: love his arms. Something like it was so, so much venom behind that. That that was a good marker because it's like one of his first big moves in this match, and it's like I ain't here to like wrestle. I'm here to like hurt. Yeah,
0: the only other time we didn't see that really was the match against Sheamus, where he was the heel and he was the bullying heel of a small as a smaller guy, and as we noted, a lot of Masanobu Fushi in there uh, who. Danielson has cited as a, a key influence but is this a case of they were holding a certain amount back because of the time limit draw nature because I mean I'm, I'm going early on in our discussion of this but I'm not going to give this 5 stars because I think the whole point of the
1: match was there's more to come I think they played it well with the holding back thing because Kenny did the very much like oh, I'm, I'm still in charge I'm still bigger I'm still stronger like and then throughout as the match progresses, he's like, No, I'm actually I'm actually deeply in trouble here. And the time limit draw, even though obviously it gets the inevitable booze off the crowd, it does make storyline sense because it's it's gone from Kenny Omega like Yeah, it's Brian Danielson, but I'm Kenny Omega to by the end, oh my god, that's Brian Danielson. Get me out of here. Get me out of here now.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's more just he's battered and exhausted. But I did think that the story at the start was that he was maybe a little bit nervous against Danielson, that he is non emotional when the bell rings and everything. Whereas Brian Danielson has, has a big old smile on his face. I think that was also one of the key things that Danielson always connected with crowds was that his joy of what he did translates well Mm. with an audience that he's ultimately a, a figure of positivity and that makes you enjoy wrestling. That It's kind of where we are with CM Punk now, but CM Punk was never usually that person. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point in the future, he probably won't be again.
1: CM, well, CM Punk's a man who's recaptured that joy and is now riding that wave. Whereas I don't think Daniel Erson ever lost it. Like It got yeah. taken away from him, but he never yeah. lost it, if that makes sense.
0: Well, maybe because it was taken away from him, that makes him appreciate what he has back, and he's curious as well because I think he said he wants to wrestle like most of his life. But he's also saying that he sees this as—does he describe it as like the peak of his he career? He described or... it as
1: the climax of his career, the climax of his career. And he, I think he, I think he said he had a three-year deal signed, so he's—I think he's seeing this as three years of like let's wrestle all these like cool cats, and then if if I can walk, I can walk away if I want. I don't
0: think he'll walk away, but I think what it will be is that maybe he will just genuinely want to do smaller independent shows and be almost an exhibitionist in a way that Johnny Saint became in many ways. Like he would tour around the world with his lightweight belt and and wrestle his scientific map-based matches. And maybe that's where Danielson will go with a less high-impact style of wrestling that he's just enjoying his time out. Maybe he won't venture that far from Washington Maybe he'll weirdly spend his time in the Northwest Territories area and do the odd occasional convention spots.
1: Yeah, well, he doesn't strike me as a man who like, likes the fact that fame comes with being a professional wrestler of that level. I think he just accepts it. He does, but I also don't think that he
0: rails against it with fury like a, like a CM Punk does, pointing out like rudeness of people expecting autographs from him and everything. I've never heard Danielson complain about that, but maybe that's because... While CM Punk is more of a metropolitan city guy living still in the middle of Chicago. So if you live in one of the most, you know, a city with a higher population than London, you're going to get recognised around the place a bit more. Yeah. Whereas Danielson was always that rural, Washington, woodsman, outdoorsy, hippie kind of guy. So maybe he doesn't just generally interact with the public that much. I think they live in like somewhere
1: in Arizona at present. Oh, okay. Uh, Him and Brie. I don't think they like they live in the Washington area. I'm going off my total Divas slash Bella's knowledge. It could have changed
0: since then. <laughs> it does feel like a greatest hits compilation in many ways. This match, the Omega I think is almost a little bit intimidated at the start, but then he sort of wheels his way into the match at the sort of the 10 minute point and starts hitting him with big moves. The key one being on the rampway. I think there's a moment when he like hits his running V trigger in there. Yeah. In the ropes and everything, and, and like just starts controlling the pace and hitting Danielson with a lot more in the middle. You know, it's your traditional North American wrestling format babyface shine, heel cut off, frantic finishes until either one gets the win, or in this case, it goes to a time
1: limit draw. Yeah. I, I do want to say about the V trigger point no one like collapses quite like Danielson. Like, in terms of, like, one has been hit with a big movement. The way he slumps, even, it's just beautiful selling. He's so, so good at selling. It's
0: wrestled at a very fast pace as well. It feels like there's no let-up. A lot of people have commented they found it hard to believe that 30 minutes have passed. And that's one of the things I actually think is going to prevent a lot of AEW matches on free TV ever reaching the five-star equivalent rating because of the nature of the TV show and the commercial breaks, even in this match, they deliberately slowed the pace down. They worked on Danielson being on the outside. It's almost like a chin-lock spot back in the day. Yeah, And maybe that's what they should be doing. Maybe they should be just doing the chin-lock in the ring. But that always bothers me. And I think the one where it was most egregious was when they did it for the Blood and Guts match, where it was just these lulls in what's supposed to be an ultra-violent thing, and then it's just sort of lying around and i get why you do that there's no point using up all your energy and then having to like replay stuff whilst you're trying to show the current stuff they'll do like one big spot maybe like in the nick jackson match that danielson had on rampage nick jackson hit a an axe handle off the top rope which is even like a spectacular move but actually not that dangerous a move yeah as far as having to do much and just working off of that spot for ages like selling it Going on the inside of the ring, taking the count, breaking up the count with one thing and then going back in the ring and allowing the count to go again.
1: So I think that's the only commercial break they have in the whole... Yeah, I mean, the way I watched it, on I mean, because I, I watched it on the Fight TV app, so I, it was like a picture-in-picture picture yeah, commercial too. break. So, yeah. obviously, we don't get the hard stop, but you can, you can tell they're slowing down a little.
0: Maybe us seeing that, me seeing that anyway, through that picture-in-picture, picture made me give it Less than five stars, and the others that just knew it from just the commercial breaks, not that not factoring in their experience, maybe they—that's why they enjoyed it more and said, "Oh, the pace was so relentless throughout that I couldn't believe that it was thirty minutes when it was." Yeah, yeah. Kenny Omega did have some fun, like I said, he's like his confidence built up as he was going on, and he was just really brutal to Danielson, and Danielson took, as well as doing his old stuff, he was also taking some scarier bumps than we used to. Yeah, although. Less dangerous than other examples of that bump. Like they did the top rope dragon suplex plots that he famously did with Kazuchika Okada in their first Wrestle Kingdom match. But Whereas Okada took it looking like it was a complete head drop bump. Danielson did do the full rotation rotation into a a flat front bump on the moonsault. But one thing he also did that was new to me and I think was new to Danielson. Well, it wasn't new to me in this series but it was new to Danielson. Do you know what I'm going to say here, Simon? I do. He did a reverse rana. I, I
1: immediately thought of you.
0: That's what I want, man. I want to be known as Mister Reverse Rana, <laughs>
1: <laughs> without ever doing one in my whole life. But it makes sense. Like, like it made sense as a one win angel counter. Like it's not like it was like crowbarred in for the sake of it.
0: And just going back to the commercial break thing, it was funny how they, as soon as they come back, they want to do something big, and it's like you can tell they're they're told by the ref, and like within five seconds of it. Omega hits the buckle bomb into the yeah. corner. He follows that up with his drop kick to the back of the head, which didn't seem to hit as hard or where he wanted to. That was which was in, it. Still looked great, but it just wasn't. You know what the drop kick to Okada looks like, and that one maybe maybe there's some wariness doing a a spot that close to Danielson's head. I'm not sure. As like I said, he didn't
1: take the head bump either on the. Uh... Well, the buckle bomb. He doesn't take. He doesn't take the buckle bomb, mind you. Mind you, what we've learned about the whole buckle bomb and sting, I guess people want to take that differently now. But he sort of takes it and falls over the top rope rather than like just crashes into the actual buckle.
0: Another thing that I also noticed when continuing to do this comparison, I still don't think Kenny Omega's wrestling has been filmed better by anyone than New Japan. Like when he does his running V trigger from the ramp way. It was like, after he did like the big turning of the ties I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like a really nasty... Was it like a dragon suplex on the, on the ramp? Onto the right? rampway, right? yeah, yeah. That yeah. was it, yeah. And then he follows it up with this sort of long-distance V-trigger. The way that they filmed it, and then I saw someone's fan cam shot, and the fan cam actually better illustrated how much distance Omega still had to cover when he did the run and the knee. Mm. And when you used to watch it in the Japanese one, they would always do it where the guy's... Right on the corner, and Omega's on the other furthest end, as small as it's possible. You know, it's almost like the like a uh, Sir Lancelot running in to attack the like, the entire castle. <laughs> <laughs> v- <triga! laughs> so I love that scene. <laughs> and he, uh, there's never they've never done it as well, I don't think. And and the way he slaps his knees and the sounds that it makes. Never has sounded as good. A v, very few of his V-triggers have looked as good in, in AEW as they have in... The ones that look best in AEW, actually, are the ones where they're right close to each other. And, and it's almost like a snap he does one. it from a standing yeah. position instead of like the big build-up. Those are the ones that look the best in,
1: in AEW, weirdly. Mm. I think... I mean, he doesn't really do it into the corners. But I think the corner cam does help catch... I I love AEW's corner cams.
0: Yes, but that's like a, that's almost like a GoPro, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's not the
1: same HD quality, no.
0: But it's not capturing the audio. I guess is the point. Yeah. it's also not the way that they position it. Is where it's someone standing on the outside filming up, whereas that's on the up looking that, which looks great for getting the height of where mm. they are and how precarious their position is. Yeah, it's just this was so much fun to see Brian Danielson, Brian Danielson kicking his fucking head in. Yeah. Brian Danielson doing his ripcord, reversing it into a perfectly timed spinning elbow into the face. Brian Danielson doing the regal plex and really planting him. Also taking some nastier bumps and nastier hits, like him hitting the ring post with his kick. Yep. I don't recall him ever doing that sort of spot. And, and also they don't have the their ring posts in, in recent years, haven't been as a... They're more
1: squared off.
0: Well, they're like bigger. They're just much bigger. Yeah. They did do the head butt off. Yeah. Nothing I don't like. And what did you think about the sort of, for most people, anticlimactic ending of them just hitting? Because a lot of people were saying they didn't hear any of the time uh, announcements.
1: Which is weird because they usually do do them.
0: Well, they were doing them, but I don't think the mic was hooked up to the cameras as well. Because, mm. well, they don't usually do it. You're actually hearing it through the tannoy system. Yeah. It seems like its the mic is not connected, but you can still hear it being said. I guess they don't want it to be too distracting the
1: only thing i can think of is that they were doing it storyline wise so on tv you didn't realize the time flowing because the cynical person would think well who is going to lose this match and i guess if you heard the time ebbing away that would start to creep in in some cynical people's minds i think they outfought themselves i assumed it was going to be a time limit draw
0: yeah from the start because Until that, it was like every non-title match, I think, the whole tradition was that they would go 20 minutes. Yeah. And they... Or if the main event, TV time remaining. Yeah. But it was the opening match, so... Yeah. Um, The question is, do they go like 45 minutes or so when they do have their inevitable pay-per-view rematch? Which I think is probably going to be full gear. Or do they just maybe not necessarily even do that and make it a sprint? Because that was one of the funny things as well Brian Danielson. Because when he was doing the Ring of Honor run with the world title, he was having very long matches. Yeah. Two nights in a row, he had 60-minute time limit draws in two out of three falls matches, one against Nigel McGuinness, and then the following one against Colt Cabana. And he really badly injured himself in the Colt Cabana match, I think, like very early on, and did for like 55 minutes... With a bad shoulder or... Yeah, it must have been a bad shoulder. And then, when he returned and he was having these matches against guys like Takeshi Morishima and everyone else, he changed it up and wanted to make it that his matches would go much shorter. Yeah. So I think Danielson can go one way or the other. Maybe because he's been starved of having long matches in WWE where the most you can usually go is like 22 minutes or so. Unless you're Triple H. Um, Unless you're Triple H. Maybe he will want to go long as much as possible with with this match. But then again, like I said, with, with the TV show, you can't really do that. So he'll only get like four pay-per-view opportunities. And then you've
1: got, you know, there's there's only so many people that you can screw over with that. So with that, the four pay-per-view opportunities is sort of changing. Uh, as of next year, it's going to be like four pay-per-views, but sort of four super shows. Kind of like the old In yes. Your Houses. Clash of the Champions
0: is a more pop- appropriate comparison
1: cuz it'll be on TV which means there will still be commercial breaks yes. and the like. But if they treat those like pay-per-view diet pay-per-views maybe it gives people more chances to have like longer matches. More f- there are more frequent chances for people to have longer matches.
0: Or maybe people who can't make the pay-per-view ones that they were cramming into casino battle royals and the like can have their matches on the the Clash of the Champions esque match. Yeah, and then that gives more space. Maybe the pay per view matches will become shows will become like one or two matches shorter, thus allowing more time for everyone to get their shiznit in. Indeed, as the, as
1: the youth will say. Well, we lost a match at all out, and we still it still went long, didn't it? Like that was Pac Andrade-less.
0: Yes, but they also had like the Paul White Cutie Marshall match that was designed to be as long or as short as it needed to be. Yeah. So, I don't have much left to say for this match. As I've said, I'm not going to give it five stars. It will probably be like four and a half or four and three quarters. I greatly enjoyed it. I'm happy to have Brian Danielson back, but I've seen better Brian Danielson matches than this. And I'll do that for the match of the week. I've, there's, there's several we could do. I think the one I'll probably pick will be him against Kenta mm. at Glory by Honor Five, because then we can talk about Kenta. But the other guys to compare to, obviously, contrast him against would be like. The two Nigel McGuinness matches, I would actually probably rather, well, they had more than two matches, but like the the most high profile ones were the unified match that happened in Liverpool. But I think I might rather go with the driven match, which was after Danielson had lost the title and he came back. And maybe people don't talk about that one as much, that might be more fun to talk about. Okay. Although I think that also does have an, Well, I can't remember with the headbutt spots, but I don't want to just talk about that every time it comes up, but it just bothers me. And one match I love that he had was with Homicide, where the whole match was him working Homicide's hand. Yeah. Like really trying to hurt his hand. And that's a really good match. And, and you know, you've seen Homicide at his best as well as, like, the guy you can wrestle as well as Brawl. But you know we've got we've got in theory many years to do it, so we can do some more Brian we can
1: do several Brian Danielson Ring of Honor matches in the future. And let's so, and there's a strong chance we'll be talking about Brian Danielson matches in the future anyway.
0: He's less strict. If the Meltzer of today was the Meltzer of 2007, we would have had three or four or five Brian Danielson five star matches at least. The ones I've mentioned, yeah, would have probably got five stars now. But that was during the lean
1: period, was not it? <laughs>
0: There was the lean period, but also Meltzer was being a bit more strict with things. I think because, as we've said before, he stuck with six stars afterwards and made six stars part of the measuring stick. And that that meant it wasn't just saying this might be the best match of all time and then just restricting it to once a generation. He started saying things were five and three quarters Mm. and six and a quarter. and We've been into this. We'll go over it again in the future. And... In a world where five stars was no longer the peak of achieve- artistic achievements, he would have had more five stars. Yeah. Than now, although he's not getting one from me for this one, is he getting one from you for this one? Yeah, five stars. starts.
1: Piss. I'm not quite a strumpet. Um. No, because the-
0: oh, because I've I've shamed you. No, no, I've because slut shamed you. <laughs> I, I kind of
1: agree with you. There, there's more. Mm. this is this is a table setter this isn't the main course uh,
0: but that's not to say that you can't have matches that build up to the storyline that can be five stars within and of themselves because I gave both the Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat matches at Wrestle War and the yeah. two out of three fours match at Music City Showdown I gave them both five stars but again stars.
1: they were on pay-per-view so they didn't have to like worry about like the Music
0: City Showdown wasn't that was a classroom of the Champions match oh was it? Match. I apologise yeah. as you should
1: <laughs> but no there's more to come uh, ultimately. It was very fun. I loved it. Loved the hell out of it. But th- there's more to come. And not necessarily just against Omega as well. Like, th- this is just like... This is, a- this is our appetite being wetted.
0: The thing with Danielson is I think he can lose. And I think he will lose. Because I think they still would rather go with Hangman Page over Danielson to win the title off of Omega. They might go for Danielson because of the way the crowd is on board. And they might look at the TV ratings and decide to go with that. And then maybe he goes back to Omega and then Hangman Page wins it or whatever. But I've always thought Danielson would almost fit more the TNT title because I kind of just want him to see him wrestle everyone. Once a week, I want him in the ring against someone exciting, if it's Dante Martin or Ethan Page or whoever.
1: Are you you suggesting a John Cena-style US Open challenge thing?
0: Maybe. Well, that's what the TNT title essentially is. Facing Sammy Guevara is one of the matches you want to see. I think that can work more with Danielson. Danielson doesn't necessarily have to be in the main event scene, but at this moment, he's right for the main event scene. Yeah. And he's not a special attraction in the same way that CM Punk is, I think.
1: Well, yeah. Well, CM Punk's di- a whole different beast.
0: But we're not talking about CM Punk, we're talking about Brian Danielson. And I've had a lot of fun talking about Brian Danielson. But though my friend was. <laughs> My friend, uh, when I was talking about it, was saying, I'm sick of Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryanson. I say, Yeah, Brydan Dan Bryson. What a tosser. Brydan Brydenson. Brydan Dan Bryson. Rob
1: Brydon, Bill Bryson, you know, all all of them. Sodom.
0: Brydan Brydan Dan Brysonson. He's uh, an Icelandic cop. (laughs) Having a rough time.
1: (laughs) The Icelandic gene hunt.
0: Yeah. But anyway, Simon, what are we doing with our next episode? Assuming there are no more five-star matches, as we still are talking, uh, there's G1 Climaxes going on, and we will have an Observer in between this coming out and the next one coming out, so there might still be more five-star matches. But if not, we're back on our Match of the Week picks, and what will be our match for Match of the Week?
1: It will be a lovely, lovely little World of Sports outing, and it will be... The uh, NXT trainers of Steven Regal and Robbie Brookside in their, uh, as a young, fresh-faced tag team, taking on Kendo Nagasaki and Blondie Barrett. A.K.A. the Rock and Roll
0: Express, apparently.
1: The one-man Rock and Roll Express.
0: But if you want to get in touch with us, how can you do so? Simon, how can people get in touch with you?
1: People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm starting on Simon Cross free. Free for the number of blood capillaries that burst in Brian Danielson's chest per second.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say he was more than three burst blood capillaries by the end of it. And again, I bet he was like had a big old smile on his face going, This is why I love this. <laughs> My name is Lorcan Monon, that's L O R C A N M U L L A N, as in the end of Brian Danielson. Not Danielson, but Brian. In the Brian of
1: Brian Danielson. But it also is
0: in Danielson as well. It is. It's the second and third letters in Danielson. True. Look at you with your knowledge of letters. Why don't you save it for Countdown? But that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Simon, I challenge you to make the longest word possible out of the letters LMTYSpod for the next episode. Who? <laughs> But until then, there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. There's only
1: one vowel in that, and my name's Simon Cross.
0: (laughs) Because I think that was only eight letters, so your ninth letter can be a random vowel. A a joker. (laughs) Hey. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have at least 30 minutes of five star time. Until the next time.
1: The new millennium it's a brand new day. Dug out, cuz, dug out, cuz. I don't really care, yo, all my cuz. I'm about to let the dragon out. Nah, 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 nah. don't. going make me I know you don't really wanna be the dragon. Can you hear me say, Yeah. Shoot it, can you hear me say, Yeah. Don't. Gonna make me a beast of dragon.